All right. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8 and uh, verse 11. We're going to start there today. You may or may not have, have caught on to it. It's been on the news a little bit recently, but there is an election coming up this week. Thank you for that laugh. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about something that, that has caused me great concern as we approach this time. And I talked a little bit about it this morning already. But today's goal is, I, I, I promise you, it's not to get you to vote one way or the other. It's to get us to think about some things that, that are causing damage in the body of Christ um, that I've been guilty of. And I, I think I found the, the roots of it in my own life. And perhaps uncovering those roots might be helpful for you. So Mark chapter 8, verse 11 says this. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply. Now, how many of you guys have children that have asked you 12 times the same question? And you know that sigh. It's the, it's the Napoleon Dynamite, uh, I need my chapstick, my lips hurt real bad, sigh. You know what I'm talking about, that one? It's that... Now, Jesus didn't say, Jesus is not writing this book, by the way. This is Mark. So as the story was related to Mark, he said, now, when that was asked, Jesus let out this great big sigh. So he lets out this great big sigh. He says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them, much like parents would like to leave their children shortly after the 12th question. He got back in the boat and crossed to the other side, and the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And now, here's kind of the story. It, it's been a while. It, it, they got in the boat. They're on the way over. They take an inventory of what they have or don't have. And, and as far as the story goes, the narrative says it's been quiet. I don't know if you've ever been on the water when it's quiet, but because you're, the wind is moving you, you don't have the noise of the wind. Because it might be parting the water slightly, there's that, that nice little kind of waterfall sound. It's a, great, it's a great way to sleep. I love sleeping on boats. I always want to live on a boat. Maybe someday the Lord will let me live on a boat, you know. But I, I just love that sound and that feel. And they're going across, and it's quiet. And then Jesus breaks the silence by saying this. Be careful. How many of you guys know right now if I were to go to kind of uh, Pastor Kyle and Ash right there, I'd go, hey, hey, be careful, be careful. They'd be like, there's a snake in my boot, what's going on? I'd have their full attention. So it's quiet, and Jesus says, he, he breaks the silence by saying, guys, be careful. And so their full attention is on him. What are we being careful about? Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, just invest here for three minutes, and it might change your life. Yeast is a small item added to a large list of ingredients. Yeast was added to salt and lard and flour and water and sugar and all that kind of stuff. And the purpose of yeast in baking bread is, is that it puffs it up. It, it ferments, gases form inside the dough. And so instead of getting a pita bread, you get a loaf of bread. Does that make sense? And so he's saying this. There's a little bit of something that, that the Pharisees and Herod, a political king, and, and a religious system have in common. If a little bit of what they have gets inside of you, it'll make you into something you were never intended to be. The history of Israel in unleavened bread, bread without yeast, or Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, where they went through the house, and they carefully swept out anything. They, had. they threw all yeast. All yeast was gone. They swept it out. It was not allowed to be in their home. It was symbolic of an annual looking into your own self and saying, am I right or am I wrong? Am I, am I arrogant? Am I proud? Am I rude? Am I self-seeking? Am I easily angered? Do I keep records of wrongs? I need to get rid of everything. As I go into the new year, everything in the old year that might puff me up or make me perverted from what I was intended to be, it has to go away. And so Jesus says, everybody, hey, be careful. Everybody listen, be careful because there's yeast that, that is symbolic of what the Herod uh, mindset, the political mindset is doing and what the religious mindset is doing as well. So what would a strict religious sect like the Pharisees 
and, a, and a, a really brutal politician have in common? And the answer is this. Both attempt to create an us and them majority that eventually takes the place of God and his people in society. Now, I don't know that I have to justify that, but let me just explain it to you. That, that Herod, ruled by fear, intimidation, bribes, um, partnerships, allegiances, he'd marry whoever because that daughter's related to that king and that solidified his place politically. The Pharisees, of course, executed Jesus because he was going to take away their positions of, of authority. And so they're like, this guy's got to die because what we are in this society, what we do, no one is more important than us. And if we go away, everything will change. So no matter who has to die to get us to our goal, it doesn't matter. And Jesus goes, hey, be careful. Be really careful. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Let's, let's going to start with a, this thought as we talk a little bit, not about politics. We will talk about politics, but only in a fun kind of mocking way. But we're going to talk about the realities of truth. And look at this. In the United States, we have been given the unique opportunity to choose those who would govern us. Every fall, we have a contest in our land to decide who's going to count the, the dollars at our local municipalities, who's going to you know, do laws for us at a state level, at a federal level. Uh, we, we had this great contest where, where we hope that the best and the brightest and the most capable and the most willing will begin to just rise to the surface. And as we see them, we'll go, that's the guy. That guy's so much smarter than me. That guy's so much wiser than me. That woman has so much uh, you know, wisdom and intelligence and heart. I want them to represent me at that city council meeting, at that school board meeting, at that state level, at that federal level. I want them to be my representative. I get to choose who represents me. Come on, somebody say amen. That's good stuff. That's kind of a relatively new idea, a couple hundred years old, really. I mean, you go back to John Locke in the, what, late 1600s, self-evident truth, and then you got Adams and Washington and all those guys, and then you got this great thing called the Constitution. But let's, let's be honest, there's a big difference between governing and politics. Somebody say amen. Governing is relatively dull. It's debating facts and truth and statistics. It's people of learned, you know, ness. I just created that word, but it works for me. And and they they get together and they do strategy and they they figure things out and they thank you for getting that. And they and they and, and then they, they kind of and, and there's this little guy who walks around and goes, I'm just a bill, right? And he and he goes and he sits on Capitol Hill and but if he gets down it's, it's very down to become a law and you know. But if you vote for me on Capitol Hill, how many of you guys remember conjunction junction and the really good days of public education? How many of you guys learned more from Saturday morning cartoon previews than you did an entire year in elementary school? Can I say amen? All right, good. So, but here, here's what, the, governing is relatively boring, but politics, how do you, if you didn't know anything about the American political system, I would describe it this way. It's a beauty contest that, that somehow co-mated with a spelling bee an episode of the champion's version of Jeopardy, um, a, a talent show, a popularity contest, and WWF wrestling. That's politics. Politics is very different from governing. Do you see that? But in order to govern, you, you've got to really WWF it up. <laughs> wow, that was... <laughs> wow. That, that, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> you ever say something and you're like, what idiot just said, oh, that was me, oh dear God, right? So <laughs> As I'm trying not to WWF it up, here we go. Wow, think about this. <laughs> this Tuesday, wow. I could, have, I could have done so many other things in life and not been right here right now, but 
by the will of God, you're stuck with me. So this Tuesday, we're, we're choosing those who will govern us by creating and enforcing laws and policies. I just can't stop laughing. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed that this never happens. Whew, I thought I had no shame. Ah, I can see our model for next year. Freedom Center, don't WWF it up. All right. Whew. We're going to be looking for people to lead us and govern us. Now, this sounds cool, right? We get to choose our leaders, our representatives. This is wonderful. Here's the problem, though. As Christians, we face a major problem, and that is that Christianity really does not fit seamlessly into the platforms of our current two-party system. There are parts clearly the heart of God, clearly major issues, clearly and one party would seem to have the benefit over the other party. And, and you say, well, I don't believe that. I think it's only this way or that way. But how many guys believe that there are believers, just as we are, believers in the United States, that we love Jesus, and, and, and they're nothing like us? In other words, they're, they're much wealthier. They're much poorer. They're, they're much more metropolitan. They're much more rural. How many guys know what I'm talking about? But you'd agree that they love Jesus. Say amen. Okay, and one of, the th- one of the places where it makes it most clear that what we're dealing with is not a Christianity issue, but a political issue, is, is this. In the 2016 presidential election, 90% of black Protestants voted for Hillary Clinton, who was a Democrat. You may or may not remember that. And 7 out of, uh, I'm sorry, 78%, so 8 out of 10 white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. Now, already, I, I, I can hear, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Are you with me? Like, like, let's learn for a second and not just say, well, it's because they're deceived. Well, that's because they've been lied to. Well, that's because, because how many of you guys know when we start doing this, we divide the body of Christ? Something greater than our politics should be uniting us, and his name is Jesus, and his concern for the lost and the poor and the needy, and on and on it goes, right? So this shouldn't be a divisive issue. So how in the world do people that are just as intelligent as each other but have very different stories look at the same question and arrive at such polar opposite conclusions? One of the reasons is just perspective. If your journey began here and progressed through this to that, as some of you have and some of you have been the opposite direction, whatever, you can look behind you and say, what got me here was this, and you can arrive at a conclusion different than somebody else's journey who got them there by another process. Does that make sense? That made sense to me. Did it make sense to you? Okay. Another reason is how we interpret our governing document called the Constitution of the United States. Any, any veterans here today? Raise your hand. Repeat after me. You know, I solemnly swear to defend the Constitution, right? So we, this is part of our, our ethos, but a conservative, classically, the classic definition of a conservative are those who take a conservative interpretation of that document. So they look at it and they say, this constitutes the laws on which all other laws should be based. It is not a, a, a moving document. It is a statute or a statue. It can be changed through difficult process of amending. If something, if they completely got it wrong or culture completely changes, it is not, it's not the Bible. It's written by men, but it constitutes the basic of all other laws. Now, there's a new interpretation of that word that would go something more like this, and though it's generally those who have it better than them, whoever they are and whoever them are, and they generally don't want things to change. Generally, when somebody says conservative on talk radio, uh, in a newspaper, they're not meaning the first thing about the legal definition. They're talking about the cultural definition. Now, on top of that, we have another group called the liberal or progressive group, and they take a liberal or progressive interpretation of the Constitution. Their argument would be, how can a bunch of dead guys that have been dead for 200 years have any understanding of how culture was, was going to revolve and needed? Um, they would be able to say, we need to just wipe out the Constitution in many ways, reforms, because it no longer is a pertinent, relevant document. We want to progress. To us, it's a living document. We want to we hear what it had to say, but then modify it to meet the needs 
of the current society. And the other thing, that they would say those who don't have it as good as them, whoever they are and them are, and they want to enact changes that progress. Now, these two perspectives, please hear me. Everybody still okay? Anybody mad at me? Did I lose anybody? If just cheer for Ohio State, and we'll have something else to disagree about. But let's agree about this one. All right. Um, these issues should not separate the body of Jesus Christ, the church. They should not. There's room to talk. There's room to listen. There's room to debate. There's room for truth. There's room for correction. There's room for all kinds of things. But what there's never going to be room for is they're an idiot, and we have all the knowledge, and they have none of the knowledge. That attitude makes an us and them. Again, beware the yeast of Herod. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. We can talk. I'll even say this. However you vote coming up Tuesday, even though most of you have already voted, at the end of this, I will be your brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because greater than your relationship with your political party is your relationship that you and I both share with the Savior who died for us. We, that, is, that is totality. That is, that is not negotiable, all right? So these two perspectives can separate the body of Christ. So in order to have unity, you've heard me say this a lot lately, there's got to be something, or maybe in my case, someone greater than that which divides us. So let's talk about a couple issues, because it is an election, because there are issues from which we can come at from different perspectives, but I want to give you an example of some of the stuff that would divide us. Let's talk about the unborn. Let's talk about babies for a second. Um, clearly, and I just want to be perfectly clear here, and if you don't agree with me, we, we can talk about it. I'll buy the coffee. But clearly, scripturally, God gives the same rights to the unborn child as he does to the born child. For example, Jesus was named before he was conceived. And a child shall be born on you, and his name shall be, right? So he was not conceived yet, and the angel already told Mary what his name was going to be. God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I appointed you. Fearfully, wonderfully made, knit in your mother's womb. Uh, Exodus chapter 21 gives the same rights to an unborn child as to a born child. If two men are arguing, and a pregnant woman, as they have the tendency of doing, saying, boy, stop it, stop it, and somehow in the middle of that tussle, she gets injured. Um, if she is injured, she has a right to, to claim against the person who injured her some sort of right, breaks her arm. Does it just get dark? Or am I passing out? We're good? Okay, good. Okay. Fighting women, I guess, makes me black out. I don't know why. It just happens. But, uh, but the same thing is true not only of her, but of her child. So if the child is born and has been deformed because of the injury sustained in that tussle, the child has the same rights as a born person. And it says eye for an eye. So that baby comes out and somehow in that tussle, the eye was whatever, the baby comes out and he's only got one eye. They literally as a community will go to the person who, who injured both the woman and the baby and they'll gouge out his eye and that was called justice in the Old Testament. And it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, limb for limb, and life for life. The Bible clearly gives rights. When, when God is, is quoted as, these are the seven things I hate, you know, lying lips and a haughty look, one is the shedding of innocent blood. And I defy you to find blood more innocent than a child that's never used its free will once to make a decision. Now, in the end, guys, I think you have to agree that this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's really a heart of God issue. Are you still tracking with me in some ways? And you say, I don't agree with that. You're just using this thing to, aha, you're a Republican. I, I promise you, like, like, listen to me. I have voted Democrat. I have voted Republican. I have abstained from voting altogether. I voted, I, I mean, this year, I almost wrote in Harumbai, just, just to kind of get it over with. You know Harumbai, the dead gorilla? Okay, never mind, I didn't. But I get tired of it. Do you guys ever get tired of politics? Okay, I get tired of it too. 
But I'm telling you, this is not a Republican to get you to vote for somebody. It really isn't. And I, I wish I had more time to tell you even more so why that's not the case, but I, I don't. Um, but let's talk about the heart of God some more, shall we? God has the heart for the poor. You agree with that? And the prisoner, and the hungry, the thirsty, and the immigrant. I'll, I'll show you. Because in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 36, Jesus is talking about a final judgment where nations come before him, and he separates them like sheep from goats. And the sheep are going to heaven, the goats are going to hell. And, and the sheep are kind of surprised, like, what do you mean I, I took, I don't understand. He goes, when you did unto the least of these, you did unto me. And this is what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to, oh, and I pressed the button. I was hungry. Oh, it's not a democratic issue. I'm sorry. Go back. Go forward. What I hit? There it is. I was hungry, and I, when I pulled up my pants, I hit the button. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. I wasn't from here. I was from somewhere else. And you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And now I can hear people say, well, there it is. See, he's a Democrat. He's an undercover Democrat. He's trying to get us to vote Democratic because some of those things are issues that the Democrats would be considered culturally have a leg up on over the Republicans. I, I just simply say this again. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a follower of Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. I, my job is to find those that are vulnerable, whether they are unborn or they're living in poverty or they're a prisoner or there's somebody from somewhere else that doesn't know a soul, like my job, as I understand it, if they can't make it here, it's for me to go to there and dig wells for them in Africa and feed them in Haiti. I, 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 don't, I don't think anything would be clearer than God's heart for people that need his heart, his hands extended to them. And, and God doesn't just drop manna from heaven anymore. He gave manna to men that men would deliver the manna to them. So we, the church, have this beautiful responsibility to be the hands of God to a needy world. So we say Amen. Right? So this isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. It's, it's just that God's people are to care for those who are most vulnerable in the society. Again, it's not a Democrat issue. It's not a Republican issue. I, I will say this, and I've been cautioned not to say this. My staff, by the way, I did this for them Wednesday in chapel. It was terrible. They tore it apart. We put it back together again. They said, you can't say that because of this and that because of that. And, just, and they weren't being critical. They were helping me to say this well. So I want you to know that no matter what I say today, if it offends you, it is my staff's fault. <laughs> and I'm glad I could share that with you. But they caution me not to speak directly of this issue, but I, I'm going to. Is that okay? You guys okay if I just, okay. Um, socialism. I'm not, I'm not saying Bernie Sanders. I'm not saying Kamala Harris. I'm not, I'm not. I swear to you, I'm not. I'm standing on a pulpit on Sunday morning before God and men. If there could be a more holier spot in my life, I don't know what it is. I'm simply saying this, in order for socialism to work, it needs to replace all other societal norms, including the freedom of religion. It cannot prosper if there's a church that is deemed higher in society than the government. And I have great concerns over this. But let me also say this, to balance that statement, I think socialism would be a lot less attractive if the church got a lot better at loving its neighbor. Okay? I'm... We can't be anti-solutions if we don't have one ourselves. Trying to decide whether or not I can go a step farther. Can I go a step farther? Boy, I'm glad I'm not moderating this online today. Whew. I pity those people. Um, let's go back in time. I don't think a women's liberation movement would have been necessary if husbands were nicer to their wives. Let's go back a little bit forward now from there. I don't think there would have been a need for an NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, 
if, if people recognized that we're all just various shades of dirt loved by God, then maybe we wouldn't have needed political movements and lynching and anti-lynching, and maybe if we'd just been better at loving the kid that lived across the street from us, across the town from us, across the state from us, across the nation from us, maybe we wouldn't need organizations that, that swung the pendulum the opposite way. If the pendulum's not here, when you let it go, it doesn't swing so far to the other direction. If we get better at loving each other, maybe socialism isn't nearly as attractive if we're caring for the poor. Maybe socialism isn't nearly as attractive if we're caring for people that, that have needs. For example, we have to be very careful that when we say pro-life, we don't just mean pro-birth. We, we can't just say, I'm pro-life, which means if you get an abortion, you're a bad person, because the reason abortion is so attractive is because of the fear of facing an unwanted pregnancy. And there's a lot of reasons why a pregnancy would be unwanted. Like not being married, not having the finances, having my colleges in front of me, I have to drop out of college and go on welfare. I don't, I don't know what to do. So as a church, we have to be careful not just to be pro-birth, we have to be pro-life, which is why 100 yards from where we're sitting right now, there's an ultrasound machine, there's diapers and wipers and cribs and car seats and care. There's a big barn you guys paid for out of Kingdom Builder stuff that's, that's full of food and, and uh, did I always say diapers and wipers and duct tape, all the things a parent needs. You know what I mean? We got Velcro. We got whatever you need to be a good parent, right? And it's all there because we can't just say you're a bad person, you get an abortion unless we're willing to say we're going to help you over everything that's scaring you about raising that child. And, if, and even if we go so far as to say, you know what, if you don't want to raise that child, it's still, you've still got these plans and you just can't and for whatever reason, that's why we have things that help with adoptive, that help with, with, with um, foster, that help. That's why our life groups have groups in it that have like various needs of specific people groups that might need more help to make a good decision. We can't be a church that criticizes politically. We have the church that is active in helping people with what they're afraid of. So back to my original statement, maybe... Maybe we wouldn't need a Black Lives Matter movement. Here we go. If, oh, that's great. Great timing there. Okay. Is that freaking anybody else out besides me? Maybe we don't need it if we'd have done better helping people along the way. Can I just float that as a suggestion? And maybe the way to move forward is not to polarize over the things that separate us, but unify under Christ that says love your neighbor as you love yourself. Simple solution. Please consider something, guys. In the end, you know, it's not a Democrat-Republican issue. These aren't. These are, these are just heart of God issues. So the government, as defined by God and men, it was never intended to care for all the needs of every citizen. And, and again, I, I'm going to be very careful not to be critical of government. But I, but I also want to point out some, some flaws and weaknesses that might help. Let me, just, let me tell you a story. Before God created the government, God created the family, and he created the church. Now, that's AGS Middle School. It's right across the street, and Andy Schmidt was a friend of mine. It did not start that way. Andy was the president of the school board when they introduced a, uh, a sex ed curriculum that I thought was especially reprehensible. I, teaching on various, uh, what I would call sexual perversions. It was taught on as sexual norms. And, and teaching various things to five-year-olds I felt really would border more on child abuse than public education. And yet, uh, as, I, as I engaged, this is long before social media, we had another way to gossip about each other called the hotlines. Remember that one, hotlines? When we didn't know who was actually saying it, you could even be more brutal you just called in and you said, hey, I think that other person's an idiot. And they would, they would print it in the local newspaper. And everybody looked every week to find out what their neighbors thought of them. And, and it was kind of silly and kind of fun. Um, but even before that, there was something, and you young people remember this, but we used to have things called meetings. 
And we would gather people that were for and people that were against at the local elementary school gymnasium cafetorium. And we would, we would talk about these issues. So Andy Schmidt was one of the guys, and he's representing the sex ed curriculum, president of the school board, and so forth. And I stood up at those meetings several times and said, Andy, I, boy, real concerns. Yeah, I, I think this is absolutely wrong. I quoted Bible verses. People amend me. They laughed at my jokes. And, and then somebody on the opposing point of view would get up, and this committee is tasked with saying yes or no and approving the sex ed curriculum. One day at Kmart, how many of you guys are old enough to remember Kmart? That's even always back in it. I'm, I'm in the whatever aisle, and I turn around, and boom, I run into Andy Schmidt. And it's awkward because I'm right. <laughs> and he's wrong. <laughs> And there was this momentary, uh, greetings, how are you? Long before we had masks, we actually had faces. And, and we would say things, how are you? I'm good. I, you know, and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? That's just me and you. He goes, please. And my question went along. I said, what the heck's the matter with you? You seem like a nice guy. I go to a sporting event. You know the names of the kids on both teams. You love students. You're the president of the school board. You have kids from all over the world live with you for a year or two years in the foreign exchange program. I mean, one of these days, I mean, you've been the, like the, the president of the parade on the 4th of July. This community loves you, but I can't, I can't wrap my mind around what the heck are you thinking when you have the sex ed stuff. Like it's, I just said, Andy, it is not your place to teach my sons about sex. It is my place checkmate. You know what he did? He said, yeah, you're right. Well, I'm glad we had this talk. Perhaps I should give an altar call or take an offering. I don't know. Like, what, what? That was too easy. I said, well, then what else? He said, he said, you're right. It's not my place. It's not the school's place. It's not the government's place. He said, can I also say something else, Jim? I said, go ahead. It's Pastor Jim to you, pal. Okay. He said, it's not our place to feed the kids before school either. But when kids come to school hungry because of the failure of the family, the failure of the society around them. We decided we had to start a program to feed them because they couldn't learn when they were hungry. It's not our place to give them a place to go after their mom goes to work or until she gets home, but we developed those programs because kids were going home and getting pregnant, doing drugs. There was no parent in the room to help them during that time, and so we provided a program. It wasn't our place, but we, we saw the destruction that was happening in these kids' lives. He said, he said Jim, I, I'll make you a deal. I will do everything in my power to remove everything that, that you don't like as soon as the family and, dare I say, the church takes its place in this society. Because if you'll do it, because I just can't have one more seventh grade girl come to me in tears saying, I, I got a disease and I don't know how I got it. I'm pregnant and I don't even know how it happened. He said, I, I realize the imperfections and some of those things, if they ever tried any of those things in the classroom, I would walk into that classroom, I would move to have that teacher fired. But we need the federal dollars for our school. We need the state dollars for our school. I know that you don't want to hear that. But here's the reality. The day the family and the church does a better job, the government will be out of business. So why don't you just labor to that end? I just want you to know this, guys. Where the church abdicates or fails, government often steps in to solve problems, and they do it without God. They're not, they're not obliged to obey truth as the believer is. They don't even believe that the truth is true. And so with their best solutions, their best numbers, their best teachers, and most of their professors are ex-liberal arts guys from the 60s, and now those liberal arts guys are now our professors. I mean, the government officials hear me. We, we abandoned education, politics, the media. The church gave up all those things a long time ago because, well, we're the church. But now we don't have influence in media, politics, education. 
I'm telling you, the church has to get back to work. Wherever you are, don't be silent, even though you may be in a minority. If you have the truth, the world needs the truth being spoken from loving people. So, great. So you condemn me instead of you know, a politician. I feel great. Thanks for inviting me to church today. No, that's not what I'm saying. This is what I'm really trying to say. My point is simply this. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are. You are. Not a radio talk host. Not a politician. Not a councilman. You are. I'm not saying they can't be. I'm saying that the, the clear mandate of the church is to go somewhere and be something and accomplish some tasks the right way with the right heart at the right time. And he's anointed us just for that. You, us, we, we are the third party that America wishes they could vote for. The party that cares about everybody. The party that gives dignity to everybody. The party that loves everybody. The the party that will sacrifice personally to help somebody because they're just a human being, not because they're a human being with a skin color or a voting preference. The world is tired of being used and lied to by politicians that want to govern. What they want more than anything is something they can sink their teeth into and believe. And I believe that the Church of Jesus Christ is that entity. So... Whoever champions your Christian values should get your vote. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind it's fairly clear, but you've got a choice to make. So this is what I'm going to tell you to do. As your pastor, as your friend, choose what is godly. Choose what brings freedom. Choose what is right. And choose the best you can. And after you cast your vote, can we please get back to the important work of winning the world to Jesus Christ and unifying around his love? Can we please... Could, could we please get off social media? Can we please be gracious? Can we please speak words of peace and unity? Can we please heal our land through our words and our hearts? Government's not the light of the world. You are. Look at that screen for a second, will you? Everybody looking? Father, please. Father, please. Heal our land. God, I am so sorry for the way I've used my words and humor. The memes that I've gotten and I've sent that have caused division. Pray that there would be a champion named Jesus that would rise in our land. That your people's hearts would be ablaze, God, with true righteousness and a fervency that owes no one an apology because it wasn't done poorly. From the top of the Purple Mountain's majesty and all along the fruited plains, God, from sea to shining sea, you are the hope for America. Not a man, not a political party. God, I ask you to bless your people with great wisdom and insight as we move forward. And let us move forward. Regardless of who the president is Wednesday morning, 
we declare to you that Jesus you are our king regardless of who our governor is Wednesday morning Jesus you are our king regardless of who our, our congress people are Jesus you are our king bring revival to this land God when there's revival I, I just we get to move forward we get to stop bickering again the money we spent just advertising our differences could have solved some of the things that hold us apart God forgive us so blessed and yet we choose to curse God forgive us so make America great again build us back better because your people decided to cross the street and teach the kid across the street how to play baseball and became a voice in his life because when we heard somebody was pregnant and scared we didn't judge them we adopted them. They became a part of our family. We walked them through a process. We helped them not to be afraid. Help us, God, to love our neighbors. We love ourselves in this nation. This nation will be what it's never been. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And we pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As about eyes are closed, I've been cautioned not to do this, but I just feel like I need to. If what I said today offended you, or if what I said today disappointed you, please hear my heart. My heart is a cry for unity around Christ. Something greater than what divides us must unite us. And I heard it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. If you're here and you're not right with God today, then before you leave this room, my prayer, my passion, and the way I've invested the last 35 years of my life is to tell you that God loves you so much that before you were born, He knew you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay for every sin that you've committed, you're going to commit, your daddy committed, your granddaddy committed, that I committed. I mean, it is literally paid in full. The consequence of every sin taken upon the body of Jesus who did what he did simply because he loved you for God so loves you that the thought of forever without you was unimaginable and so he did the unthinkable he turned to his son and said are you willing to die for them and because of love Jesus Jesus said yes on the third day he rose from the dead it was witnessed by hundreds of people it's recorded all throughout history Today we are in this room and online having to make a decision. For whom will we live? What will be the purposes of our heart? Whatever it is, let it begin with this. The foundation of all true life is Jesus who is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And will you give your life to him today? If you will, then right where you are, right here, right now. God, I was wrong. You were right. Forgive me. Give me a fresh start. Give me a born all over again moment where the, the dry erase board of my life is erased. All my history gone and all my destiny birthed in an instant of faith. I trust you to be greater and what you've done to be greater than what I've become and what I've done. That I would be defined by your love, not defined by my failures. God, I, I take all of that now in Jesus' name. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me your word. Let me be the light of the world, the salt of the earth.
And I will see you soon when this journey is done. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? All over this room. I hope I didn't WWF that up too bad. I, I'm glad you guys were here. The uh, ushers or staff, somebody's going to help you out. Um, my time has expired and there's children to get. So you guys ready? All right. Live long and prosper. God bless. I'll see you soon. Remember that offended you. Again, my name is Jeff Waltz at Freedom Church.